Santiago of James. And uh, there are, uh, James is a, is a pretty practical book. It was written for uh, Jewish believers, Jewish Christians who were not in Jerusalem, part of the diaspora of, of, the, of the Jewish people uh, who were followers of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, and so there was a very significant um, difference between maybe like Romans, which was written to, um, um, it was written to Gentile Christians living in Rome, right, versus what this was, right, and the people who, who were the intended audience, right? But it has a lot for us today. Now, there is some tension, uh, and all throughout uh, the Christian history, there has been tension uh, between the verses that we're going to study today uh, and some of the uh, some of the verses and some of the passages that Paul writes, and so this is part of where uh, some of that tension is and why this is kind of a hard uh, hard passage to look at. But I want to I would suggest to us that if we really look at it and if we can spend some time sitting in it, that we would see that it is not in opposition with each other, but that they actually complement each other in a really important and significant way. Right, and these are uh, sometimes people will look at these, and we're going to read two verses, and it's going to look like they contradict each other at first. These are apparent contradictions, but they're actually not. And if and 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 so let's look at them. And the first is, uh, and so we're going to look at two sides of the uh, of the um, theological line of theology. I don't know, <laughs> whatever. I didn't I didn't think of the title of my illustration super well, but. Uh, so here we go. So on the one hand, you have uh, Paul. And Paul writes in Ephesians uh, 2, he says this, right? And this is a pretty famous verse. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, so no one, uh, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is by faith, right? Uh, and and it is by grace, right? And the understanding of what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God's choice to give us salvation. God did everything required to give us everything we need for salvation and life in him. And, and we receive that through faith and belief, not by works, right? This is Ephesians 2, right? This is kind of one of the staples of our faith, right? Well, James chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 24 says this. He says, you see that a person, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So you can start to feel, okay, maybe there's some contradiction here. There's some some tension, right? What is what where do we stand? How do we how do we uh, how do we um, uh, how do we rectify that? How do we find uh, ourselves on that scale, right? And um and there's two extremes to that, right? Because on the one hand, uh, the extreme of faith is this kind of this idea that, uh, and 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 that maybe it's, it's just all in your, it's it's all head. If I just have the faith, if I just believe the right thing, then that's it, and my actions don't matter as much, and my lifestyle doesn't matter as much, as long as I possess this knowledge, right, or this faith, or this belief. And actually, that kind of got some Christians into trouble in the second century, right? This, this heresy developed called Gnosticism, where it was all about this knowledge. And if you possess this knowledge, then uh, you could transcend 
kind of everything else, right? And it just became about possessing this understanding and this knowledge, um, right? But on the other hand of that, on the other end of that is, is you have this kind of works idea, right? That if, if I, it's a, the danger of that, the extreme of that is this, it's grace and, right? If I have, it's grace, God has given grace, and you also have to follow all these rules, you know, it's grace, but you still have to, you know, women, you can't wear pants or, you know, uh, uh, you can't play ba- baseball on Sundays or, you know, we, we, we can make all these other things, right? These other uh, aspects to that, right? It's, so it's grace and. And I have to work for it. I have to, uh, to behave in a certain way, right? And that's, that's a very easy place to fall into, right? Because we're conditioned uh, since very, very young to this, like, behavior reward system, right? If I do good, I get good things, right? If you do bad, you get things taken away from you, right? If you're at school, if you do good on a test, you get a good grade. If you get good grades, you get, you know, college uh, scholarships, you know? And, uh, and so there's, like, this this reward kind of um, thing, right? And that f- spills over into our understanding of faith, right? So then as I behave right then God rewards me better. Or as I live a certain righteous lifestyle, then, then God will look more favorably on me. And if I do bad things, then bad things will happen to me, and that's because God is punishing me, right? And so we find ourselves kind of falling and slipping into, this, into that mentality, right? And there's, uh, But some of the danger of that, right, other than what I just described, some of the danger of that is this, this, this pressure for perfection, right? Now I have to, and this has been... This has been one of my struggles. This was my struggle growing up in in Christian faith, right, is I have to be this perfect guy. I have to live this lifestyle of I can never do things wrong. I have to prove that I'm good enough. I have to prove that I'm righteous enough. I have to prove that I can do this, right? And that created uh, a lot of pressure for me. And actually, uh, Martin Luther who uh, kind of founded the uh, Protestant movement, right? Uh, that was one of his struggles as well. He became incredibly bitter and angry and frustrated because he was living in this works mentality. And that pressure of having to live a, a perfect life was was eating him up from the inside, right? And so um, this, is the, this is kind of the struggle, right? But there's a, there's a pushback in Scripture from, from living in this lifestyle, living in this way, right, uh, in, in our works, right? Even, like, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, right, this passage on love, right, where it talks about the different, um, different way, what love is, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love is, you know, does not boast, it does not envy, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, right? Uh, but it also talks about, I'm going to put this down for a sec, okay? It, it also talks about how um, it, it starts out by saying, it says, if, if I could speak with tongues of man and angel, right? But if I don't have love, if I have this ability to, like, speak all these eloquent languages, but if I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, right? It says, I could have all the, like, it talks about knowledge and science, right? If I could have all the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, right? And I could have faith that can move mountains. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. It talks about religious service, right? If I have, if I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardships that I, that I may boast, but I don't have love, it gains me nothing. And so, 
uh, Paul is pushing against this notion of, uh, of this empty works, like these doing these things void of uh, more than uh, just the, the action themselves. That there has to be more than just this work. And what I want us to, where I want to kind of help us is sometimes we think, okay, well, I, I want to then be grace, but I want to be careful, right? And, or maybe I'm leaning more towards work, so how do I find myself in the middle where there's like a balance? And I want to push against this, and I, and I actually want to help us to, to think of this differently, not of, because when we look at it this way, right, when we, when we think about balance, right, if, we, if I hold it in the middle and it's like unbalanced, if I, if I lean to one way or lean to the other, right, it becomes unbalanced. And, and I want us to, to, to not think about faith and works in a, in a balanced kind of way, because what that does is it puts them at odds with each other. That one is against the other and opposite of the other. And that if I lean towards one, that's pulling me away from the other. I want us to move away from this notion of like, okay, how do I find myself in the middle? And move towards this idea of both of them moving in the same direction, working in tandem, working together in harmony. I want us to think about how do these two work in harmony with each other because I believe that that was the heart of what James is trying to get at. Not that they're in opposition to each other, but that together they're working and how, how we can allow those two to work in us. So let's go to James. And uh, Larry is going to hand out to you uh, a paper, and uh, the passage that I'm going to read from is on this paper. If you have your Bible, you can actually open your Bible uh, to James chapter 2. Uh, if not, you can follow along on the paper, whatever you prefer. I'm going to set this down here. Okay, James chapter 2. And we're just going to spend some time sitting in this word and sitting in this passage and uh, letting the Lord speak to us. And I pray that it would, um, I pray that it would speak to us, right? Okay, so we're, we're trying to find how do these two live in harmony uh, with each other. That's what we're aiming for, okay? Um, so here's the setup. Remember, this is coming off of the passage uh, that Alex spoke about uh, several weeks ago. Uh, it, was, it was several weeks ago. And the last verse says this, right? It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And it was talking about um, not showing favoritism and about, uh, but how when we show favoritism, we're breaking the law, right? And that there is this, um, there is this push, right, for us to, uh, to love equally everyone, to, to, to see people beyond just their physical appearance and to, and to push against the favoritism, to show uh, mercy, and mercy matters more than judgment, right? And then verse 14, it says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters? What good is it if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? And this is a really a tough question, right? And this kind of is reminiscent to Jesus actually asking this, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul, 
right? Again, kind of putting values back to uh, where they need to be. What good is it, brothers, if a person, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can that faith save them? So it's, it's putting into question faith as an ideological kind of standpoint and, and asking for something more, something deeper. And he says this. And he's, so he gives them, uh, uh, let's, let's, let's put this into context. So James is like, okay, can that faith, is that faith enough? Let's put this into a real life scenario. Let's put this into a situation in our church, in our moment, in our congregation right here, right now. 2,000 years ago, right? But also very relevant to us right now. And he says this, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. That's a real problem, right? If you don't have clothes, especially in New York, right, because it gets cold. Thank God we're heading into warm. I'm loving it. All right, and uh, suppose this person doesn't have clothes and does not have food. And when he calls them a brother and a sister, this is to symbolize, like, this is more than just a random person. This isn't just a random person off the street. He's not saying, suppose you walk by some random dude on the street. This is a brother or a sister. That means they are part of the community. This is a person inside our church community, inside our faith. This is family. And he says, suppose you don't have their 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 basic needs, right? And you go up to them, right? And he says, you, uh, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Right? He's, he's calling to task. He's calling the question. Suppose you're like, yeah, you know, be good, you know, be, be warm and well fed and you know, and I bless you, right? But, but then I don't do anything to actually, like, stop and help with their physical need. He says, what, what good is that? What have I actually done there, right? What, what good is it, right? If we, um, because let's, there are, the human existence is incredibly complex. It's multifaceted. We are not just physical beings. We are physical and we are spiritual beings. There is a spirit and there is a body. And they are working together, right? And there is a spiritual realm and there is a physical realm. And just as we often think that those are in odds with each other, in, the same, in that same kind of vain. Let's think about it this way. We often put the spiritual on one side and the physical on another and think, well, those are in opposition to each other or those are separate from each other. When in reality, they are uh, just the same. They are just equally uh, in tandem. And so everything becomes spiritual. Everything we physically do can be spiritual as well and is spiritual as well. And so when we are ministering to people, when we're caring for people, if we're only caring about the spiritual aspect but ignore the physical aspect, we can actually be doing a great harm. For that person to walk up to that, that man who was lacking food and lacking clothes and to say, be warm and be well and be well fed and to walk away is not only not showing them love, it is actually the opposite. It is being unkind to them and cruel to them. Think about it in our context today, right? With all the gun violence that we see in, in our country, right? For someone to say, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. 
Well, that's great. But then if we, if a politician, and I'm not going to, I'm not saying we need to be on one side or the other. I'm just saying for a politician to say, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And then to not take any kind of action, whether it's on one side or the other, but to really do nothing but thoughts and prayers, what are we actually doing? What good is there? In the same way, we have to, there has to be a taking care of the physical needs as well as the spiritual needs. Because without that, what are we really doing? And I'm not trying to say that prayer is not powerful. Because prayer is incredibly powerful. But when, if we're only focused on the one and not the other, we're missing. We're missing part of it. We're not just missing half of it because it's not that we are 50% physical and 50% spiritual. We are 100% physical and 100% spiritual. So we are missing 100% of, of, of what we are called to do as believers. And this is what James is pushing us to, right? This understanding that it is not just in taking care of a spiritual aspect, but that faith has to also do something. And then he says in verse um, 17, he says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And that's a hard scripture. That's a hard thing to say, right? Because dead things are dead. Dead things do not come back, right? And that's what's so intense about dead things, right? <laughs> they, they don't. They're... And so for him to say, if your faith does not inspire you to action, your faith is dead. That's a heavy, heavy word. That's a, that's a lot of, that's, that's, you know. So, but this is what he says. So then he continues. He says, show me your, he says, someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. And he says this, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. I will show you my faith, what I believe in. I will show it to you by what I do, by my actions. See, here's the thing. Faith, uh, the, the word faith is different from the word belief because belief is just I can believe something I, I, I acknowledging its existence. Faith requires an extra step because faith requires a trusting of that thing that you're putting faith into. When I describe it to kids I, uh, at camp, the best way to do that is to think about the zip line. Anybody here ever gone zip lining? All right, well, if you haven't gone ziplining, volunteer as a Young Life leader, and then you can get to go to camp, and then you can go to the zipline, right? So shameless plug in there for Young Life. <laughs> Mike's like, nah, I'm out. It's okay, right? But when you zipline, right, I tell the kids all this, this, this help them understand faith. Belief is to say, I believe that zipline will, will hold me, and turn around and walk away. Faith is to say, I believe that zipline will hold me, strap on the harness, and Place your life into and on this zip line to step off the platform and zip on down into the lake. That is the difference between faith and belief. Faith requires you to put an action, a, put your weight on what you are believing, uh, what you have faith in. And that's the, that's the, therein lies part of that 
that struggle, right? Because it is more than just this ideological information that you know it has to. And what James is telling us here is it has to inspire some kind of action. It has to move you from spiritual realm to physical realm to do something. It has to change and transform the way I live, the way I speak, the way I act towards my brothers and sisters, the world at large, the people around me. If my faith does not produce in me a deeper sense of love towards God and a deeper sense of love towards my neighbor, then what is our faith? It is dead. And my, my challenge to us is this. Does your knowledge of Jesus produce in you? Is Jesus being more and more real in you? And is that producing in you a desire and an action to helping others? Think about it this way, right? You know what the difference between empathy and compassion is? Empathy is to be sympathetically conscious of someone else's distress and to be able to kind of sit in there and to feel and experience kind of their pain or their struggle. That's empathy. Compassion is that as well, but it takes one more step because compassion requires uh, not just the ability to um, sympathize with that person, in their distress, but it comes with a desire to alleviate their pain and their struggle. Compassion is both the sympathy and the empathy and also a movement towards doing something to alleviate their condition. And that is the relationship that faith needs to have with action. It is. It requires us to take a step to doing something. And he continues. He says, show me your faith. By, uh, verse, I'm reading verse uh, 17 again. 18. 18. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is, a, there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Right, he's he's the the thing is it's not what he's trying to say here or what he's saying here is like, hey, you believe that there's a God, there's one God, and this one God is is kind of speaking towards uh, again the Jewish audience, right? They would believe uh, the Shema, which is the the uh, the Lord, uh, listen, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, right? And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, right? That's what he's referring to, right? You believe that there is one God, well, good. But you know what? Then he, like, puts it all the other side. You know who else believes there's one God? Demons, right? And they're freaked out. They're scared of him, right? And it, it's like, moves them to fear, right? Because they believe. Demons believe in God. They definitely believe in God. Right? He's saying, like, hey, if you believe in God, well, you know what? Great. But that's not enough. Because even demons do. You're not. And you don't want to be there, right? You don't want to be, like, compared on that same level, right? Um, that, nobody wants that. He's saying, well, great, good. But you know what? If that's as far as you go, it's useless. Because what uh, our knowledge of Jesus, it's not about just categorically knowing who he is. 
It's not about having this information about him and knowing all of our stories. And this is kind of one of the challenges that I have with a lot of our, with our, with our, our kids, right? The kids that I work with uh, is they'll have a lot of knowledge about Jesus. They'll know the stories. They'll know about him, but they don't know him. They don't have this faith that moves them, that transforms them. You want evidence that God is real? The evidence is a transformed life. And as Jesus is made more and more revealed in us, as we know more and more about Jesus, it's not just so that we have knowledge of him, so we understand our history, but it's so that it transforms me from the inside out, that it changes who I am, my character, my person, to to move me towards the most authentic self of who I am in Jesus. And transforms the way I think, the way I act, the way I care for other people, right? It, it, it changes me from the inside out. He gives a, uh, so then he continues and he gives two examples uh, from scripture. One is Abraham, and he talks about Abraham. And Abraham, uh, he actually kind of gives two, two levels of uh, examples, right? The first one is Abraham. Abraham is like the father of the faith, right? The founder of it all, like the, 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 one of the most important figures in the, in the Old Testament, right? To a Jewish person, right? But it's also challenging their thought process because to a Jewish person, person believing and being a Jew made you a son of Abraham, and they believed often that that was enough. That just being a son of Abraham, I was included in salvation. That I am righteous because I'm a son of Abraham. And it was this knowledge, I could have this knowledge, but it was separated from then my everyday life and what I would do. And so he is challenging this belief that it is not, and Paul does this also in Romans, that it is not just being a son of Abraham, but it is that faith, and it was the action of Abraham, that actually brought, that made, cemented this, uh, this faith that he had. He says, Abraham was considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. And then he goes a little bit farther. He says, look, because of what Abraham did, he was considered a friend of God. Abraham's belief and faith in God moved him to action. And that's when he was credited the righteousness. And that's when he moved from, uh, became then friend of God. Right? It was, it was moved. And then he gives this other example, this, uh, this woman named uh, Rahab. Now, Rahab's kind of an ex- obscure figure in, in the Old Testament, right? She, she has a very short part in, uh, in the moment when the Israelites were, were conquering the, uh, they had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're moving into the promised land, and they have to battle against all the people who lived there at the time. And the first place they go to is this town called Jericho. And Jericho had these huge, huge walls. And, uh, and there were some spies that kind of went in, and they were checking it out. And Rahab saw the spies, recognized who they were, and listened to their story and believed that God was going to do something. And so she protected the spies in her own home, put her own family in danger, and then helped the spies escape. And then when the Israelites came back to destroy and conquer uh, Jericho, she was saved, her and all her her family, because she had believed and taken action to help uh, the Israelites, right? And not only that, right, but Rahab's story becomes really significant because then she she ends up marrying an Israelite, 
and becomes the great grandmother of uh, of David, and uh, and through her line comes King David, and through King David's line comes Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Right, and so she's a significant person. Right, but it wasn't that she just believed. Well, I guess the Israelites are coming. That's going to be a bad day. All right, I'm just going to, you know, go watch my telenovelas and kind of see what happens. No, she believed and then took action, right? And that's the call. Uh, that's the call that James is, uh, is pushing for us. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go back to Ephesians where, where uh, um, and it's not on the paper, but if you want to look it up, you can. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul talked about is by grace that you've been saved. I want you to see how work plays even into this because Ephesians chapter 2 says this, verse 8, for it is by grace that you have been saved. It is by God's unmerited favor towards us, his decision towards us that we have been saved through faith. Faith is the vehicle, right? And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Right? Wait, go back. So no one can boast, right? Because we have to be very, very careful. Let's not get the horse before the cart. I don't know what that means, but I've heard it often said, right? Um, no, I'm just kidding. Right? Because here's the, here's the struggle. Right? It's one or the other, right? It's then. It, Paul is emphasizing that it is by grace that it is not by our works that we are saved. You can never do enough to make God love you. You can never work hard enough that God would uh, look at you and say, oh, well, Adam did that. Well, okay, I'll let Adam in. He, Adam's so good. He, he did this. That was good enough, Adam. It is by the work that Jesus did on the cross and God's gift to us through Jesus that we have salvation. It is not by works so that you can't say, I did this on my own. Look what I did. Look at how good I am. And it should create in us this deep sense of humility that God would look so favorable on me, who is so broken and so sinful, to love me and love you so much that he would say, Bruce, I love you, and I'm going to die for you and, and trade places with you so that when I look at you, I see my son in you, and I can give you everlasting life. But then the next verse says this. It's not by works, so no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece, right? Look at this, created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's not that we don't do works, but that it is because, it's not that if I do works, then God will give me grace, but it is because God gave me grace, I can then go do works freely because of who I am and what I have. A great example of that is Zacchaeus, 
right? Zacchaeus was this tax collector. Jesus invites him into his house. He's ostracized from society. He's kind of the, viewed as one of the chief sinners. He is like this, this bad uh, man, like viewed morally as this evil man. And Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, I need to come spend time with you. I need to go eat at your house. And he goes and he builds a relationship with Zacchaeus. And because of that, his, Zacchaeus' life is transformed. And sitting at dinner with Jesus, Zacchaeus says, if I have ever, I'm, for right now, I'm giving away half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've ever cheated anyone, I'll give them four times back what I cheated them from. Right? Life was transformed, not because he was trying to prove to Jesus that he deserved it, but because Jesus accepted him and loved him. It inspired action. And that is the, I think, what, what James is trying to get at here, is that your faith in Jesus needs to then inspire us to action. We need to move from just the physical, uh, sorry, the spiritual realm. Our faith needs to then move and spill over into um into the physical realm. And then he ends it with this. Verse 25 in James. In the same way, oh, sorry, verse 26. As the body without, the last verse, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Just as our body needs the spirit to be able to function and work, our faith without actions will not function and work. So uh, I want to leave you with this uh, illustration of, so faith let's move away from viewing faith and works as this linear thing where they're on opposite ends of each other and I want us to think about faith and works in this way. Anybody ever seen someone build a building? Ever stopped to look at the construction site here in New York as you're walking by? Um, I spent lots of time, I love looking at like machines because I'm like five, right? And I love looking at construction and, uh, and stuff. And most of the buildings in New York are made with reinforced concrete. In fact, we are in a building right now that's made of reinforced concrete. Now, here's the thing about concrete. Concrete, cement, is incredibly strong. Incredibly strong. But its strength is in compressive strength. Concrete can handle weight that's compressive, okay, With that the, when the weight is kind of coming down on it, right? So, for example, and there's many different grades of concrete, uh, but for example, a, a, a slab of concrete that is graded at 4,000 PSI, I had to look this up because I don't know about construction, right? A, a, a slab of concrete that is graded at 4,000 PSI means that it can sustain 4,000 pounds of weight pressing down on it. So that's like me and like, someone do the math. I don't know, like, like 4,000 friends, right? Standing on, on this slab of concrete. It can handle that, right? Because it's, that's what it's designed to do. It can handle that weight compressively. But you know what? Concrete is also very, very brittle. 
Concrete can handle compressive strength, but it can only handle a tenth of tensile strength, uh, strength or tension or bending or stretching. So if me and those 4,000 friends are standing on concrete, we're great. You take that concrete and you twist it or you bend it, it can only sustain 400 pounds of tensile uh, because it's brittle and it'll snap. And so what engineers have done is they have discovered, well, if we put uh, reinforced steel bars called rebar inside the concrete, because steel bars have incredible uh, tensile strength. They can sustain incredible amounts of pressure in the bending and the, and the twisting. And so what they'll do is if they're going to build a column like this, is they will build this wire frame on the inside and then cover that with cement. Now it has the compressive strength and it has the tensile, uh, am I saying that right? Uh, the tension strength. And that is how faith and works need to work together. If you only have faith and your faith is super, super strong, but you don't have action with it, your faith is dead. But it is our action working in tandem together, just like reinforced concrete, to build incredible structures. Our faith and our action working together to build incredible people who reflect Jesus and who can transform communities because of the change that we've seen in ourselves. So my prayer for us today is this. Do you truly have faith? Do you have knowledge or do you have faith? Do you have knowledge of Jesus or do you have faith in Jesus? And it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, right? This is a lifelong process of allowing Jesus to transform us every single day to be more and more like, uh, like him. Is your faith just knowledge that you carry around? Or is your faith living, producing in you good works that God created for you to do? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word that teaches us. Jesus, I just ask, God, that every day you would draw us closer to a living and true filling of your spirit in our hearts, that our faith would motivate us to action, that it wouldn't just be things that we possess, but, Lord, that it would move me to believe. Father God, that we'd strap on the harness and be willing to step off and go down the zip line. That we could put our lives not just in knowledge, but in faith in you. And that that would inspire in us movement towards action, towards our brothers and our sisters, towards compassion, towards kindness, towards love. I pray, God, that our faith would never become stagnant. But as a church, that our faith would be living every day. That we could demonstrate 
the transformative power of knowing Jesus and how you have transformed us and changed us and how we love and serve each other and this community. I pray all this in Jesus' name.